Again, we would direct your attention to the Word of God, this time to a passage taken from Luke chapter 2. We'll be focusing this morning especially upon verses 15 through 20, but we want to read from verse 1 through 20. Again, in your pew Bible, uh, you can find this uh, on page uh, 1180. So 1180 in the pew Bible, you should find Luke Chapter 2, we'll begin reading at verse 1, continuing through verse 20. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, every one to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was, when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Thus far our reading from the Word of God. A congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, we take it as a given that most of you, if not all of you, uh, have a certain degree of familiarity with the Christmas story that is with the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. By way of introduction, we would just explain that the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ is what we call theologically the incarnation of our Savior. The incarnation perhaps summarized most concisely in John 1 verse 14, the Word became flesh. So that in this miraculous event, the eternal Son of God, that second person of the Trinity, co-equal, co-eternal, and co-essential with the Father and the Spirit, That eternal Son of God, by the powerful work of the Holy Spirit upon the Virgin Mary, actually became flesh. That is, took our human nature, 
unto Himself. So that one person, Jesus Christ, possesses two real, complete natures. A divine nature and a human nature. And He has given the personal name Jesus. And that name indicates what His work is. That name reveals to us the the why behind the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. The why behind the Incarnation. As it is recorded in Matthew 1, verse 21, His name shall be called Jesus, for He will save His people from their sins. And so if you were to take John 1, verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. And if you were also to combine that with Matthew 1, verse 21, and His name will be called Jesus, for He will save His people from their sins. There is a summary of who this person is and of what His work is. And all of that is well and good for us to understand. But then the question becomes, how do we respond? How do we respond to the Word becoming flesh? How do we respond to this person, Jesus Christ? And that's why we've chosen this morning to focus our attention especially upon verses 15 through 20 of Luke chapter 2 and the shepherd's response because I believe that it is very instructive for us to consider this morning how these shepherds responded to the proclamation of the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the big question, the big question that confronts all of us and the big question perhaps that especially confronts uh, the young people who hear these words and even the children who hear these words, is what will we do with this message that we hear year after year, Christmas morning after Christmas morning? And not only on Christmas, but also as we make our way through Sunday school classes and catechism instruction and sermon after sermon. What will we do in response to the message of the Gospel. The proclamation that there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, all of us respond. And all of us will respond in some way to the announcement that there is provided a Savior, Jesus Christ the Lord. And so let us look together briefly this morning at this passage of Scripture underneath this theme, the first view of the Incarnation. And as we do so, we'll notice, first of all, the motivation behind the view, and then secondly, the observation in the view, and then thirdly, the declaration of the view. The first view of the Incarnation. Uh, Just a, a word about that theme. What we have in Luke 2, verses 15 through 20, is an inspired account of the first human beings to lay their eyes upon the incarnate Savior. Of course, the very first human beings would have been Mary herself and Joseph. But now we have others coming. And they lay their eyes upon the incarnate Son of God. We'll notice the motivation, the observation, and the declaration behind that first viewing. A first point in the motivation behind the view. Why did these shepherds come? Why did these shepherds make a trek 
in the middle of the night to lay their eyes upon a small infant child in an insignificant village known as Bethlehem. Uh, Well, in part, the answer is twofold. They had been given a heavenly revelation that they have received with a corporate conviction. This is not just some exercise of curiosity. It's not as if the shepherds had nothing better to do, so to speak. Uh, They do not just simply come uh, to study what has occurred out of just a passing of time. No, they had received a heavenly revelation. Angels who are ministers of God had come to them in the stillness of a night and had proclaimed something of what God had done. They had received a message. There is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior. What a remarkable message that is. We've perhaps heard it so often that we lose something of the supernatural essence of this. There is born to you this day a Savior. And over and over, these same words echo throughout the halls of human history. Think of how many sermons have been proclaimed throughout human history, in essence saying the same. There is born to you this day a Savior. This is nothing other than the Gospel, the proclamation of the Gospel. As the Lord God Himself comes in an act of grace and through the external call proclaims over and over and over, there is a Savior born for men. Jesus Christ the Lord. We see it summarized most plainly in verse 11 and 12. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Emmanuel. God with us. But I fear there is a great danger. The danger of becoming so familiar with those words. And the danger is perhaps greatest for myself. And perhaps greatest for Gospel ministers. But it's also a great danger for a congregation, a Christian congregation. Maybe you memorized these verses when you were four or five years old. Maybe you recited them in in a Christmas program in Sunday school. 30 years ago, 50 years ago, maybe even 80 years ago. Maybe you have heard 50 sermons on this text. Maybe you have received countless Christmas cards in which these words were placed on the front and in the center. My question to you this morning is do you realize, do I realize, That this is a Gospel revelation from heaven itself. That God again comes to us and says, there is born to you this day a Savior. Why did these shepherds 
go to Bethlehem? Because heaven spoke to them. Because God spoke to them and revealed that there was a Savior. And they, that is the shepherds, and of course all of this is a result of the Holy Spirit working within their heart, but they, that is the shepherds, received and believed that heavenly revelation with a corporate conviction. Uh, Their action flows out of a certain conviction. And their conviction is one that is corporately shared. Uh, Oftentimes it's overlooked, uh, but I find uh, the words, let us go. Most amazing words also. You find them there in verse 15. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. Now now you'll notice that there is something there about the content of their conviction. They believed that the Lord had revealed something to them. They did not look at one another and say, I'm not sure what we just experienced, but let's not do anything about it. They understood that the Lord Himself had made known the Gospel. And they all believed it together. Now we're not exactly sure how many shepherds there were. Uh, Most of the times, uh, a a unit of these types of shepherds perhaps were extended relation. Uh, Maybe there were... Ten, maybe there were six, maybe there perhaps were twelve. The number's not significant. If it was significant, God would have revealed exactly how many shepherds there were. But we know that there was a plurality of shepherds. Let us go. God most commonly works along covenantal lines of communities. Oh, we find this already in the opening of the history of the covenant of God made with Abraham. Where God says to Abraham, not only will I be a God to you, Abraham, but I will be a God to your descendants after you. Uh, This is the very heartbeat of covenantal theology. This is why we so appreciate uh, the sacrament of baptism. It is a sign and a seal that God has made a covenant not only with us, but also with our children. And this is why we congregate together as a body of believers. And we find on that first Christmas morning, if you will, shepherds going corporately together. Let us go and see. And there's something of this also when a Christian congregation gathers together for worship. Uh, This echoes what you find in in many of those psalms of ascent uh, where the the psalmist says, I was glad when they, notice again this corporate, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go up to the house of the Lord. Let us go and worship. This is why there is something absolutely beautiful about a corporate worship service. And not to overly spiritualize it, But as we make our way across the parking lot, and as we make our way up the sidewalk, and as we enter in uh, through the doors of this building in which we congregate together, within our hearts at least, and within our expressions to one another, we ought to be saying to one another, let us go and see this glorious work of the Gospel. And so we come into the assembly of, of the saints as it manifests itself here in this local congregation. 
And with our eyes and with our ears and with our senses, we see and we perceive the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior. And notice also this corporate conviction has one sole focus. Let us go and very specifically, let us see this thing that has come to pass which the Lord has made known to us. Not let us go and see what's going on in Bethlehem. Not let us go and uh, from a distance perceive uh, the scene of the nativity. But let us go and see and understand and perceive what has come to pass which the Lord has made known. Well, what has the Lord made known to us? That there is the provision of a Savior. And we ought to come into the corporate worship Sunday by Sunday and as other occasions allow with one desire corporately shared, let us see Jesus Christ. Let us see the center object of the Gospel. And what is the Gospel? But the proclamation that a new king and a new kingdom, a new era has arrived in the birth and in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And is there not something beautiful then when occasion allows on a Sunday evening that we with one voice say together in the words of the Apostles' Creed that I believe in Jesus Christ, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, and our voices all blend together as we say in essence, let us now go and see this thing which has come to pass. So why do the shepherds arrive in Bethlehem? Why do they gather around a feeding trough? Why do they gaze upon the incarnate Savior? Because they, like we, had received a heavenly revelation with a corporate conviction. And that moved them to an observation that we consider in our second point. What do they see? Uh, we've looked at why they come to Bethlehem. Now, what do they see? You know, if you were to, in your mind, allow yourself uh, to paint a picture, there are many things in view uh, in Luke's account. Uh, you can perhaps see in your mind's eye Joseph, Mary, uh, the, uh, the manger, the stable, uh, perhaps some livestock around as is so often depicted in a nativity scene. But all of that, fades into the background. And the focus of their observation is a real incarnation and a real humiliation. A real incarnation and a real humiliation. And so you see in verse 16, and they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And then verse 17, and I would just note that the word hymn there is italicized, which uh, indicates that it's provided by our translator uh, to serve as uh, a clarifying addition. But it's not there in the original. So it literally reads, now when they had seen, and that has the idea when they had perceived, when they had come to a certain amount of understanding. Understanding about what? Understanding about the babe lying in a manger. 
So they see the babe lying in the manger. And based upon the heavenly revelation that had been given to them in the preceding, especially in verse 11, uh, they understood something that here was a babe that was more than just a babe. Here there was a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So they see a baby, but they see much more than a baby. But here's a point that I would also seek to emphasize this morning. It's only through a convinced reception of heavenly revelation that you'll ever see more than a baby when you look upon the baby. It's only through the Word of God that we can understand the manger. Now when these shepherds had come with haste, they found the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen, they made widely known. So they saw a real incarnation. They saw a Savior. And we understand from other parts of Scripture that our Savior must be very God, but also very man. And there He is lying in the manger. Very God, and yet very man. This, of course, is a true miracle that is accomplished above and beyond the laws of human nature. And so the doctrine or the truth or the reality of the virgin conception, although scientifically we might say impossible, is absolutely certain. And is an essential part of the doctrine of the Christian faith. And so based upon what we hear and what we read in the Bible, we understand uh, what is also said in Hebrews 2, verse 14 through 17. Uh, And if you take your Bible, if you're so inclined uh, to turn there, Hebrews 2, verse 14 through 17 sheds light on what it is that the shepherds perceived uh, when it states in verse 14, "...inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, He that is speaking about Jesus Christ, He Himself likewise shared in the same that through death He might destroy him with the power of death that is the devil. And release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed, He does not give aid to angels, but He does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore, in all things, He had to be made like His brethren, that He might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. And so just... Marvel for a moment with me that the shepherds do not see an angelic nature combined with the divine nature. The angels who have fallen into sin have no Savior. But what they see is a human nature. Just like Your human nature, just like my human nature, but without any sin, united to the divine nature. Great is the mystery of godliness that in this feeding trough there lies the combination of a divine nature and a human nature. And the provision of a Savior. A Savior. 
A Savior who saves by the way of humiliation. Uh, Of course, this humiliation or this lowliness is symbolized by the manger, by the no room for Him in the inn, by His being wrapped in swaddling clothes. All of this emphasizes uh, that He has made Himself of no reputation. And that He comes in the very lowest of circumstances. But this is not just to paint some picture of humble beginnings. This is not just so that we can say, oh yes, this person can relate with those who are of low social status. Or that this person can relate for the downcast in society. Much, much more is happening in this step of humiliation. The Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, as He takes our human nature upon Himself, steps into the posture of humiliation under the law. Under the law as a mediator, as what Hebrews 2 verse 17 says, as a propitiation. And the Lord Jesus Christ throughout His earthly ministry will continue to descend step by step into the depths of humiliation as He bears upon His unique shoulders. The guilt of our sin. He is the Savior who must stoop down to take hell itself upon His shoulders. And so if you look upon the manger through the lens of Holy Scripture and you see this babe lying there in the manger wrapped in swaddling clothes, know that for all practical purposes, the next step from that manger is to the cross. You see, here is where we are concerned that much of the Western world stops at the manger. Stops here on Christmas morning with a scene of a baby lying in a manger. Surrounded by Mary and Joseph. Surrounded by shepherds. Surrounded by the wise men. But then that's it. And they don't understand anything more. No, this humiliation is that Jesus Christ is the substitute, the mediator for sinners. And that's something of what the shepherds saw when they perceived that this is the Savior whom heaven had revealed unto them. I want to ask you as I ask myself, what do you see when you read Luke 2? A nice traditional Christmas story? A a, a nice traditional nativity scene? A a message of humanistic hope that even from the lowest beginnings one can rise to universal influence? Or do you see, there is my Savior? There is my Savior being humbled under the law. There is my Savior, my mediator. That is what the shepherds saw, and we know that because of the declaration that they make. Having come to Bethlehem by way of heavenly revelation received with conviction, they observe the real incarnation and the humiliation that went along with it. And they then leave declaring. Notice what is stated in verse 17 and then also verse 20. Now when they had seen 
they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. I just want to draw your attention there. They don't just go and say, we saw a baby who had been born. They just don't go and make some general proclamation of another birth. But again, if we follow the text rather closely, they made known widely the saying which was told them. Well, what saying? That brings us back to verse 11. They made widely known the saying that there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This is what we mean by our subpoint of an evangelistic declaration. They, they, they made widely known that there was the provision of a Savior, the miraculous provision of a Savior. These, these shepherds, they had seen with the eye of faith, with a certain knowledge, and with a hearty trust. They had seen their Savior. And so they went out. And notice that Luke adds that word. They made this widely known. There was no limitation to their evangelistic zeal. It was not as if they, in some type of, you know, what we often characterize as hyper-Calvinistic idea, said, well, we have a message only for a select few. Only those who are prim and proper, who understand a Reformed orthodoxy, for them we have a message. Now, you get the impression from the language that these shepherds, uh, although at the bottom of the social uh, status of the day, they made this so widely known that anyone who would listen, they would tell. And so also ought to be the mindset of the Christian church. Whether it is in our organic ministry as we simply go about our vocations, as we are in our shops and our places of business, as we go about community life, we ought to make widely known. And also as the church, as an institution, we ought to have this desire to make widely known. Yes, here within our own community, no matter who it is, no matter who your eye beholds, whether it be the person at Walmart or whether it be the person uh, at Tyson's or whether it be the person in uh, the Christian school or the public school. There doesn't need to be any difference. We ought to make known that which the Lord has told us, that there is the provision of a Savior. A Savior who calls all men to repentance and faith. Male, female, Jew, Gentile. Rich, poor, we see so many different people, do we not? Some who seem to be well put together in their appearance and in their relationships. You look at them and their family and their their home and their employment, you say, wow, they have things all put together. And then we see other people and we say, wow, they don't have anything put together. The same message is to go to both. There is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior. It convicts me more than anyone. But how many people have we made this message known to? Outside of these walls? Within the past week? Within the past month? within the past year? 
Could we count on one hand? Maybe two hands? How many people that we have stopped and said, I I want to let you know that there is a Savior, Jesus Christ the Lord. That He is the Savior of all men, not in a universalistic understanding, but all types of men. So whether your life seems all put together or whether it seems to be all broken apart, there's a Savior born to you this day, Jesus. I I, I wonder if we as a congregation and as a people, are, are we known for evangelistic zeal? Could we perhaps be known for evangelistic zeal? You know, one thing about coming to a new community is people ask, oh, where do you live and where do you go to church? And in the back of my mind, I can't get away from I, I wonder, I wonder what people think when I tell them, I, I attend Covenant Reformed Church. It's been quoted by someone once that a great gift of God is that you have the ability to see yourself as others see you. How do the others see us? You know, these shepherds, after this encounter, they would have had a reputation in town. Oh, those shepherds, they're the ones who are making widely known that there's a Savior born. Are we a congregation who has that reputation? Oh, those, those covenant reformed folk? They, they're always making known that there is a Savior for all men. Jesus Christ the Lord. By God's grace, may that be something of our reputation. But there's also a, a, a wonderful blending in their declaration. They, they have an evangelistic zeal. You might say they're, they're mission-minded. But they're not mission-minded at the expense of giving praise to God. Now these are not two different options for a body of believers. You know, think, well, am I going to bring the message to men or am I going to bring praise to God? But they do both. And so you'll notice that, yes, they make widely known in verse 17 the saying which was told them concerning this child. But then verse 20, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Now notice there's a, there's a grammatical link, you might say, between verse 17 and verse 20. And that grammatical link is, which was told them. That which they had been told from the angel, verse 11 was the substance of both which they evangelistically declared to their fellow man, but also which they praised God for. And when we are truly consumed by the message of the glorious Gospel, we will have a desire to tell our fellow man about that Gospel, but we will also have a fervent desire to praise our God for that Gospel. And so they return glorifying and praising God. They worship God. 
They worshipped God because they had heard and they had seen with the eye of faith this heavenly declaration that there is the provision of a Savior. In many ways, they they echoed Mary. Now, uh, the text says Mary kept all these things and pondered them uh, within her own heart. But in Luke chapter 1, verse 46 and verse 47, the song of Mary, when she initially receives the message, the same message, although with a personal note for her role within it, it says in verse 46 and verse 47, And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. And I would tie these things together this way. A person, and therefore a group of persons, a person and a group of persons who have truly received and understood with spiritual perception the provision of a Savior, will be a people who have hearts that magnify the Lord. That make the Lord great in their expression of praise. A people who really understand the provision of a Savior will have souls that will rejoice. And as those hearts are glad and as those souls rejoice, as those people then go forth praising God, that will then make widely known to their fellow men the fact that there is a provision of a Savior. Uh, Perhaps an analogy to begin to draw to a conclusion. Have you ever met somebody and they've received great news at an earthly perspective and you can just tell uh, there's a note of joy in that person. They have an extra spring to their step. uh, An extra note within their song. Maybe even literally they're walking around uh, humming or whistling or singing. And you go, "There's, there's something about that person. And so you ask, well, what's got into you today in a positive way? And they, they proceed to tell you the wonderful news. Maybe it's a, a budding relationship. Wow, I'm so happy because of this. Maybe it's uh, the announcement of a pregnancy. Well, we're so happy. We're expecting a child. You see how the two go together? So they ought to also in the Christian life. We as those who have also viewed the Incarnation ought to be going through life with a certain spring in our step, with a certain song upon our lips, with a certain joy in our heart. And is this not what Peter alludes to when he says, sanctify the Lord God in your heart and always be ready to give an answer to those who'd stop you when you're uptown on the square going from shop to shop and ask you, what is the reason for the hope within you that we might then say, oh, we are glorifying and praising God for the things that He has done in the provision of a Savior. And we would encourage you to also receive this Savior in faith and to experience the joy and the peace that comes from knowing that there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, Jesus Christ the Lord. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, we are humbly amazed that You have so loved the world that You have given Your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ the Lord. We humbly ask that You would give us the eyes of faith 
to view the incarnation rightly, but then also to respond appropriately. So may there be genuine, active faith within our hearts, but a faith that is filled with evangelistic zeal and a faith that desires to glorify You and to honor You also with our doxologies of praise. We ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen.